Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of Crack One Open with Mike and Elise. So this week uh, will be week two of our Dockside Takeover, which is perfect timing because next week uh, is when they can officially open their doors to the public in a limited capacity, of course, but... Open their outdoors the Outdoors, the yes. Thank you for that <laughs> clarification. So... During this half of the episode, we were lucky enough to get kind of a sneak peek or sneak tasting of Fruit Stripe, which will likely be one of Dockside's regular draft offerings and is a very interesting vice beer that we are excited to have again to open, to crack open for you guys and talk just a little bit about it before we get to the rest of our interview with Brewmaster Andy Schwartz. Sure thing. <laughs> so as I mentioned, this is a fruity German vice beer. It clocks in at 5.5% ABV, and this is its official description from Dockside. It is a rich, yeast-driven Weiss beer with flavors of banana, vanilla, and cloves. Fresh blueberry and boysenberry juice are complemented by dried hibiscus flowers for a deeper color and underlying fruitiness. Yeah, but let's talk about the big news about this beer. <laughs> it's called Fruit Stripe. Because. Because, and get this... It smells exactly like Fruit Stripe gum and tastes pretty damn close. As close as you can get beer mm -hmm. to being a Fruit Stripe gum as you can get, I think. So nostalgia ahoy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shall we crack it open? Crack it open. By the way, this is a crowler that yeah. we got. So uh, it's huge. Diesel. Nice. Oh, look at that color. The dried hibiscus flowers really add something like... It's true. So red. Very red. Very rich color. You can barely see through the glass. It's not like a hazy beer in any way, but it's opaque. It is. It is super <laughs> opaque. But what I loved most about it the last time, and let me see if it's the same this time, that fruit stripe smell, yo. Yes. It is on point. And now the taste. Ah, it's so... Good. It's so fruity. I, I know you like beers with a banana flavor to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can name a few, but <laughs> it really, really works in this. I'm really enjoying it. it because I think it's the banana, it's the berry, and it's the vanilla. Yeah. They all blend in and you can taste all three of those flavors. You mm -hmm. can taste banana. You can distinguish all of them. It's you true. can taste vanilla. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first sip you get. And the clove is just like a hint. It just really like brings everything together, I think. It's not like a... Overwhelming clove? Yeah, it's not overly uh, spicy or anyway. The first thing you get is definitely banana. Mm -hmm. And then you get vanilla. And I can't say that the, the next step is berry. The berry is just there with you the whole way. Yeah, yeah. But what I especially love about this is... And you know that I love sour beers. And That's I love true. fruited sours. Fruited sours a lot of time, though, can be way high on the sugary side mm -hmm. to the point where I'm like, whoa. Yeah. And, you know, I'm also not a huge fan of things that are overly sweet most of the time. It's true. Sadly. <laughs> this isn't a sour, so I'm not saying this is a fruited sour. This is no, just not at fruited. All. But it's it's fruited like a fruited sour would be mm -hmm. almost. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have any of that excessive sweetness and it has no sour. It is just so easily drinkable. It is. But still so fruity like a fruited sour. It's the best way to describe it is it's a fruited sour without the sweetness or the sour. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say it, it is sweet. It's not syrupy sweet. It's not syrupy sweet. It's on the sweet end as if you were having a Blue Moon or another sweet type beer. Mm -hmm. It's no sweeter than a sweeter beer. It doesn't taste like there's been sugar added with the fruit. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a sweet 
it's on the sweet end of beer, but it doesn't taste like it has fruit in it in terms of the sweetness. Yeah. And I think that's great. And also, obviously, it tastes like fruit stripe. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus. They really have captured the flavors so well in this beer. And I know they've made, there are other beers that have done fruit stripe, mm-hmm. other beers that have done, you know, cornflakes and yep, yep. the all ecto, the, all cool, the cereal. Like the ecto yeah. coolers. We have never got a chance to have any of those kind of beers. So I can't say how close those have come. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that this comes so close. That it makes me really excited and a little disappointed I didn't get to try some of those other ones like the Ecto Cooler and stuff. Because <laughs> uh, this is so much like Fruit Stripe that it's it's just crazy. It's awesome. Unfortunately, when you're listening to it this weekend, Dockside will not be available for pickup, curbside pickup. They were Last other weekend. weekends. Um, this but weekend, now they're, they're really revving off. things up to get ready for uh, opening during the like opening phases of lifting the quarantine. So. Right. Yep. Phase one in Connecticut will be starting and they'll be able to open their outdoor areas. They want to have enough on tap to serve their customers. So mm-hmm. this weekend, no curbside. I don't know if they're going to continue canning afterward. It didn't sound like it. No, but, but I don't know. I think they'll probably play it by. I think everybody's going to play it by here. Yeah. So we'll see. But, but after this weekend, next weekend, you'll get a chance to go down and try it yourself. Reserve a table and, yep. uh, Sit at the awesome patio they have. The and beautiful outside area. Ugh. Have a beer, have their awesome burgers, their, their great pizza, mm-hmm. and their fantastic wings. I was so surprised on their wings, how good those and were. And the guac. The guac and chips. Yeah, the, the food is just really good. It's surprisingly yeah. surprising. Like You think of it as like, oh, beer first, and then, oh, okay, they have food, but- yeah. We we it's had great. we had had multiple dinners from Dockside before we actually got the chance to interview Bob and Andy, and Bob was I, I was surprised to hear him talk about um, in the the first part of this uh, interview how hesitant he was to open a kitchen, um, mm-hmm. but they they really knocked it out of the park, and we haven't even had the whole menu to to choose from yet. So right. I think that really sets it apart excited. from a lot of breweries around. Yeah. The only one I can think of really in Southern Connecticut was uh, SBC, which no longer brews their own beer. True. So they're really the only ones like, I love food trucks. You love food trucks. We like <laughs> see who's who's there at which breweries and then that's where we're going to go. Yeah. But, that can almost determine what brewery we go to depending on what we want for well, dinner. Yeah, but, but it's always cool because they switch it up. But it also says something to have a place where you have a consistent menu yep. of quality food where you're just like. We know this is going to be good. Let's go let's have go, some good just, friggin' yeah. beer and. Yeah. We know the beer is going to be great and we know the food's going to be great. And the menu is extensive, surprisingly, mm-hmm. for a, a brew pub like yep. that. You wouldn't think a place. It's also, we mentioned it in the podcast itself in the first episode, how much bigger the place is than we you thought walk it into could it, be. When you thought yeah. it could be. Yeah. It, it really is quite a large inside area mm-hmm. and a large patio area. Yeah. With lots of different steps and stuff like that. So they really be maximize able to really, the space. Yeah. There'll be quite a bit of space in there, quite a long bar, quite a lot of tables, a lot of patio space. I can see it getting really cramped in the wintertime because I can see people really wanting to go. Not to wanting to even, be outside. Yeah, yeah. Not wanting to be outside. And really Unless they put out the, those heaters. They did the, say the yeah. first part of the the big porch area will be enclosed in nice. the wintertime. Nice. So that's cool. So yeah, Dockside Brewery opening May 20th. Woo. Check it out. It's amazing. This beer is amazing. Fruit Stripe. <laughs> we also did Butte New Zealand IPA. That was last week's episode. That was last week's episode. Don't know if they're going to continue that. But Feeling Juicy will be one of their staple beers. And mm-hmm. that is Elisa's favorite. favorite. And one of her favorite new IPAs in general. Mm -hmm. So without further ado, um, do you have anything else to add? No, here's Andy.
And this is actually a slightly different version of Fredo than you tried in the past. Different yeast strain. In. It is. Nothing else changed other than the yeast strain. But yeah, so. this is different than what we have yeah. in the fridge. <laughs> yeah. Previous was a Czech lager yeast strain. This time it's a German lager yeast strain. Just to try something different. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. It is definitely different because it doesn't have the... Yeah. It is is much yeah. cleaner. Yeah. I, I, I shouldn't say. I did tweak the proportions of the hops a tiny bit. Same two hops as before. But I, I tweaked the proportion a tiny bit. Yeah. And then and then used the the God's honest truth is I, I would say effed up, but I don't know if on this podcast I can curse. Oh, you can do whatever you want. Okay, it's, so it's a 21 and a podcast. The, I fucked up on the first one and, and ordered the wrong yeast by accident. <laughs> and all the chaos and stress of trying to drive towards opening. Yep. And then I realized, oh, shit. I meant to order the German lager, not the Czech lager. Both worked out great, but yeah. the, the Italian Pilsner is really more based off of a German Pilsner. Oh yeah, uh, no, that, that's interesting. And to, then dry well, hop. You, you had it with dinner yesterday. Yeah, yeah I had it just yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So right to be able to compare yeah. it, and so I upped, it, it's only got two hops in it: uh, Tetnang, which is a really traditional German hop, more of a noble hop, and then a hop called Saphir, which is a little bit more a newer, more modern German hop. Yep. Uh, that's got kind of a cool floral, slightly spicy quality to it. And it's so it's I upped the floral. amount of sapphire yeah. in it this time, just to try to get a little more oomph from it. Let's say the last one had like a, a mellow and then like about halfway through your taste, like bumped. Yeah. And, and that's that Czech lager like, yeast. Think Pilsner or Kel. Yeah. That's like a Czech Pilsner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got that quality from it. And yeah. I loved it, but I like it. I like it cleaner and better with the German lager yeast. In this it. is a little, this is a little more so, drinkable yeah. and a little more dinner friendly, yep. I would say. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So well, that's what you're is, it's still now. good. Uh, so you asked me before I, I left to go get you beers and God's honest truth, I was about to wet my pants. I had to pee so bad. Um, what beer am I excited about? What's coming that maybe you haven't seen or know about? Um, it's hinted at if you've dug into our untapped page I have. a little bit. Uh, I think I know what the, you're going to say. On the upcoming section, uh, one of the first things I did when Bob hired me was convinced him, and I don't know how I convinced him, was to buy a fooder. A fooder is a, a, a giant wooden fermenter. Think of it like a, a bigger version of a, of a bourbon barrel. But they're designed more for making sour beers, making wild beers, playing with bugs, playing with bacteria, things that most time in your brewing career you try to keep out of a beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to, on a very small scale, play with here. Other breweries, you know, the likes of Allagash or Area 2 right down the road right. or New Belgium and both of their breweries have, you know, full wild beer fooder programs where they might have 50 of these things. We have one and it's small, but it enables us to have some fun on a very small scale, but play with some bacteria, play with souring, play with some different, a little bit more aggressive things. And so there's one coming. It's in the tank now. It's, it's, it's fermenting away uh, with a blend of two different lactobacillus strains. Lactobacillus is a bacteria that sours the beer, gives you that kind of uh, lactic acid, acidic vinegary, not like uh, there's acetic acid, which is different, which is a little more pungent vinegary. Uh, This is more like a lemony vinegar, very clean soury that I put into the tank first, uh, gave it a few days head start to start creating acid, start dropping the pH, and then added in a blend of an ale yeast and bacteria uh, called Brett Britannomyces, which over time will continue to sour the beer, but also give it a little of what we call funk in the industry. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a, it's assertive as like a, we call it horse blanket of all things. 
kind of that pungent barnyard funkiness sometimes, depending on how long and how aggressive you go with it. It just adds a layer of complexity. Uh, and it's in a brand new uh, oak tank built for us. Uh, it's freaking gorgeous. <laughs> um, and the base beer is what's called a Flanders Red, essentially. Mm-hmm. If you've ever had like Rodenbach Grand Cru, that that sour ambery brown or sour brown or sour amber. Yeah. So the base malt is a really rich, intense, uh, multi-amber ale, if you want to think of it that. All really high-end, mostly English malt, uh, Maris Otter and Munich and Vienna from Germany. A few Belgian malts thrown in for color and intensity. So it should be this rich, caramely, sweet, fruity amber ale that's soured. And so you'll get notes of like cherry and sourness and bright funk. and It'll be cool. I think we've got our uh, our future episode, right? Yeah, future episode. Yeah. Right there. No, it's it's <laughs> it's the tank I want to have fun with, and it's probably the tank I'll use down the line for some collaborations, okay. you know, with friends of ours from the region. Do mm-hmm. something with Nebco, doing something with with whoever. Just brewer to brewer collabs. I'd like to do a lot of more than even brewery to brewery collabs. Just friends of mine from around the country who are kick ass brewers. That would be awesome. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to see. You pull from your experience in other states and yeah. then get some, yeah, some kind of new Hopefully. blood over here. Uh, yeah. That was my original plan. Then, then this pandemic happened, and no one can travel, so, <laughs> so I can't do those yet. But eventually, you know. But we're all. I'm gonna always try to have at least one house brew soured beer on tap. Some will be a little bit quicker, cleaner, like fruit soured beers, mm-hmm. um, like mango that yep. you had. Yep. Uh, that'll done be done in stainless. Um, and then some will be longer term fermentations, two, three months in the tank, uh, in the fooder will be bacteria and probably the fooder beers will probably not be fruited. They'll be more traditional old school styles. I'd like to do some dry hopped sours in there. I don't want to play with fruit in the fooder, only fruit (laughs) in the stainless fruit stains and stays forever. Yeah. Um, but kind of play and take, you know, a little bit higher level of brewing here. That I'm people might not it. expect from a no from a new brewery, brewery that just started, yeah. New, you know, take advantage of some things and have some fun. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one. Plus Fredo, which you're drinking now, which I think kicks ass. The new Fredo is very good. And truthfully, what the beer I have in the tank fermenting now, the third part of my answer is uh, I love a Mexican lager. It's, it's one of my favorite things in the world. I said for me, it's an emotional thing, <laughs> but uh, a good, well-made, clean Mexican lager. Maybe even put the crazy little squeeze of lime in there. It's Ooh. there's nothing better in the sun. The squeeze friends. of lime while you're brewing, or the squeeze Afterwards, of lime after? Okay, okay. okay. You, know, the, you know, and just have fun with it and make a party beer that tastes really good and is locally made. So that's that's in the pot now. When is uh, when can we expect both the Flanders and the um, Mexican to come out? The Flanders has probably got. I'm going to guess at least another month. It's been in the tank for about two, maybe three weeks now. So maybe a month and a half. I'm guessing it'll tell you when it's done. Yeah. Kind of by tasting it and by we're a, we do have the ability to measure a few things here. I can't say I have a lab here, but I have a few pieces of lab equipment mm-hmm. um, where I'm able to measure pH and I'm able, able to measure. We're getting really nerdy now. <laughs> things like titratable acidity, um, which is really a, just a measurement of lactic acid, much more a, a accurate measurement of sourness. And so it'll tell me when it's done, but I'm guessing it's a couple of months in the tank. Uh, the Mexican lager will be ready in a, a few weeks. In my mind okay. at this point, assuming 
the state lets us open like the current plan, which is May 20th, and we'll see. Changes every day. Yeah. Uh, that will be ready for then. Okay. If we're not able to open, then we'll can it and sell it. Yeah. Um, but way, sell this it, week I'm brewing beer. a whole bunch of new beers. I got four beer or three out of my four fermenters have brand new beers in them right now uh, that we haven't made to date in our three month history. <laughs> but, and I got making another new one Monday. So, so I'm going to have to be here Friday, Saturday, <laughs> and <laughs> Sunday. Yeah. So, and, <laughs> and depending on what happens with the state, whether we can these beers or hold them for our opening is yet to be determined. So I'm just trying to prep just in case I'm making three or four brand new beers. I think four, maybe even five brand new beers. And then I'll cycle back and replenish with some of the ones we've done so far. Well, every yeah. single one you've done so far so is great. We got some cool new stuff. Excited for the too. new stuff. <laughs> Whether you guys open on May 20th, which I guys hope I hope you do because you're going to be opening up in the, yeah. the, the dock area. Yeah, it's gonna be And gorgeous. that's going to be awesome. Yeah. I think people will still continue to buy your beer. It's still going to sell so. out. I mean, it's so good. We've been very blessed yeah. so far. Everything's yeah. selling out. If, if the listeners have a chance, even if you're if you're in Northern Connecticut or Hartford, you're listening to us near there, come on down. Take yeah. the drive. It's worth it. Yeah. Dockside is one of the best things we've had in a long time in terms of new breweries opening well, up. And the cool thing is, like we talked about earlier, I mean, before there wasn't much reason to drive throughout Connecticut for beer. And if you are going to come down this way, there's some kick-ass breweries in the region. You know, between us and two roads and a short trip up to Nebco or counterweight or, you know, uh, down a little bit more to no worries or, you know, Aspatuck Brew Lab and some of these places down on the southern part of Connecticut. There's some killer breweries down here now. There's reason to drive down here. You can make a whole yeah. day trip of it and stop by each of our places for a, a curbside beer to go mm -hmm. and hit half a dozen breweries in one day, probably. Or Tribus. I can't believe I forgot to mention them. Yeah three miles from here i'm not even sure they're even three miles from here make some of the most uh, kick-ass beers yeah. in, in the in the region you know there's reason to come here now which even just a few years ago there wasn't well, so I, that's a I bonus even in the the past easily within the past five years the number of breweries in connecticut has doubled oh gosh yes yeah yeah so like yeah you said, i mean there, my, there's more of a reason I, now i've only ever. brewed in connecticut for about six years now i was in other places but in that six year when i came here i think there was 15 breweries in the state mm -hmm. just five and a half years ago, maybe six years ago. And now there's well over a hundred. Mm -hmm. That's a big change. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> in such a short time. So now you talk about Tribus and Milford. Now there are three breweries now in Milford. Yes. And you guys are right next to two roads. Yes. Let me recommend some kind of shuttle bus between the four oh, of you guys. Oh yes. Do this, do this tour between yeah. the, We've between got, like, I don't, it's a, it's a 15 minute tour here. between all four We've of you. We've got a yeah. shorty bus that apparently Dan, one of the other owners here has had for years that we may use for some purpose like that. I know two roads does a shuttle bus from the train station to their place. Yeah. The six pack they call it. Yeah. Nice, yeah. yeah. And, and hell yes. I'm open to it. Cause I, I would, they are stop at dockside damn straight park my parents house come over to dockside go over to two roads come yeah. go back to tribus milford stop at dockside again at the end i think you guys oh, are all right for a great location you all have really good beers and you're Fine. you have very unique profiles to your well, beers and, well, and, that, I, and i think i'm glad nice. you said that because i think that's important too yeah. in all my year and I, i've been very blessed in some of my previous stops to also get a fair amount of training in marketing and branding mm -hmm the other non-sexy side of our business, but I'm a big believer in knowing who you are and staying very true to that. And the beers you just mentioned are very true to that. Tribus makes a very distinctive 
broad. You know what to expect when you go to Tribus and you drink beer. That's what I always tell her. And it's, it's like, consistent. I go to Tribus. It's like they know I know their what a Tribus audience. beer is. They yeah. know they've you know their social media, their beers. Everything speaks to a very focused target audience, and they're brilliant at it. Their beers are killer. Their marketing's killer. Their labels are killer. Their social media is killer. Everything is great. Same thing with Two Roads. They have a very brilliant marketing plan. Their beers are some of the best in the world and they stay very true to who they are. And even now that they have two brands between Two Roads and Area 2, right. both stay very focused to who they are. No different than here. We're going to stay very focused, even though it may be a, maybe a slightly broader portfolio because we're only a brew pub, we're not distributing, but still there's going to be a quality to what I make. And it's going to be always be a somewhat of a hybridizing of East Coast and West you know, and very professional. It's going to, you know, clear beer that is clear and some are going to be hazy, but they're all going to be good and they're all going to be quality, you know, and, and all the breweries you just mentioned all have that about them. And to me as a consumer, that's what you should look for is a plan, a, a company that has thought about what they're doing. They stay true to who they are. They stay professional at all times at what they're doing, whether it's brewing, whether it's marketing, whether it's social media, whether it's, Whatever, community outreach, it's all part of it. And if you don't have a plan, you shouldn't be doing this. And I'm old school like that, but it's That's smart and it's, it's good a business. and it works. Yeah. Stay true to who you are and you never are, waver. You're in it for the long haul. You it's know? just beer. Two Roads is all based on that poem, Two Roads Diverge oh. in the Woods. And tribe is join the tribe. Yeah. And it's all, you guys all have your own thing yeah. and it all works. Yeah. And it separates you guys. I could have, like, I haven't had as many of your beers as the other ones because you've just yeah. opened, but I, I've had every beer you put out already. And I think I can already, if you put all three beers yeah. next to me, I could be like, this is a two roads. Yeah. This is a tribus. This yep. is a dockside. It doesn't matter if they're five minutes yep. apart. They're all really good. And you divide your time equally. Yeah. And, and even with awesome. as much as our industry has changed when I started in this region, not long ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it was, you know, I use the example of something like a stone brewing company out of San Diego. You knew a stone beer. Oh, stone regardless yeah. from, from labels. It was always going to have a gargoyle on it. Mm -hmm. It was always going to be aggressive. There was a little bit of a middle finger to you. You're not worthy <laughs> back in the day. Yep. And they stayed true to it and their beers were always aggressive, but they were always really well made. And you knew a stone beer or a Sierra Nevada, you knew a Sierra Nevada beer. If you want to go way back, similar label program, always had the waterfall, always had this. Beers are always clean. They were always hop focused with a little bit of a malt backbone to them. And you knew, you knew as a consumer, I may not have tried this beer, but I know this brand and I trust it. I know no matter what I'm going to buy from them, you know, or a Boston beer or a Brooklyn or a Sam Adams or a, or a, or a Dogfish or some of the old historic brands laid that foundation of this is how you do a, a professional brewery. There should be a level of expectation. There should be a focus, even if you're something like Dogfish, who had no focus. It was craziness. Oh, yeah. Dogfish is crazy. I mean, I love <laughs> but them. But you knew what but to expect. But they're nuts. Yeah. That was their thing. Craziness. It was always going to be extreme. We're going to use the weirdest ingredients and the weirdest names and the weirdest everything. But they were consistent with it. <laughs> it's like we've missed that a little bit sometimes in our new current reality of explosive craft beer growth of having a point in what you do and staying true to that point, period. You know, and there's some around here who do it. And most of them are the brands we're going to pour here. Yeah. You know, and in the list we talked about, Nebco, Counterweight, Two Roads, Beard, et cetera, OEC, have a very focused yeah. approach to what they do, even Absolutely. if it's focused yeah. craziness. Yeah. 
When, when uh, you can walk into a liquor store and you just see yeah. the brewery's name and you're like, all right, I'll try this. Yeah. I, I know it's going to be good. I trust the brand. And like, I've always said, as a, as a consumer, you should accept nothing less mm -hmm. for the amount you guys spend for like a four pack, which can be astronomical nowadays. It better be great. Absolutely. Yep. Even yeah. if it's not your favorite style and that's okay, but it better be well-made and it better be well-packaged and it better be worth the 17 to 20 bucks. Sometimes you spend on that four yeah. pack, except nothing less. And if it isn't that don't accept it, you shouldn't, you know, you're, you, it, there's too much other great stuff out there. You I'm, know, I'm glad that's coming out of your mouth as a brewer because <laughs> we think that every time we buy a before pack and I know all our, our listeners think that too. It's like sometimes they're just outrageous, but it's like yeah. the amount of work that goes into it. Oh it, yeah. It makes sense. Yes. But you better be getting that quality. Yeah. And you know, a lot of that's why we accept those four packs is because yeah. so many times there are is that quality. Yeah. I had a question forming while we were talking about that first question. Oh, I know. Yeah. So you mentioned Sierra Nevada. Mm -hmm. We are also part of the seller dwellers cub of uh, area two. Uh-huh. And because they can't do any activities and yep. they're kind of running out of ways to make that worth buying, <laughs> the seller dwellers have had a, uh, a phone conference with Phil. Mm -hmm. And he mentioned big time on the conference the inspiration that Sierra Nevada was <laughs> to pretty much everything. And he didn't really touch really too far upon that. But can you touch more on like, because yes. you mentioned it too. It's, so now it's like, oh, okay. You no, know, I yeah. mean, if you... If, on one end, there's the historical side of our industry. And back then, Sierra Nevada opened in like, I want to say 1980-ish. Wow. And they're one of the early ones. They're not the earliest, but they're, they're one of the first in what you would call craft brewing or, or microbrewing back in the day. It was he, it was Boulder Beer was like, back then they were called Rockies Brewing Company. It was like 79, 80. Before then... There was one out of California called New Albion Brewing, and they were like 76. And it was all right just after when Jimmy Carter legalized home brewing in the mid-70s, 78, somewhere in there, in that neighborhood. And my dates aren't exactly right, but that, that's all part of what gave birth to our industry. And mm -hmm. you got Widmer Brothers in 80, you got Red Hook in 84, uh, wow. Boston Beer wow. in, I can't remember, but either 80 or 84. And some of the earliest drivers of our industry but sierra nevada has always any brewer is going to give you the same answer phil gave you sierra nevada pale ale is the beer i've seen panels at conferences in our industry where there's professional brewers and some of the biggest names in our industry historic and primarily west coast but national brewers the sam calgionis from dogfish and the tommy arthurs and the vinnie salerzas of russian river of the world and and then uh, guys who owned and ran national beer chains that have a hundred taps and the guys that have driven our industry and universally the answer is when you walk into a bar and there's a hundred taps or whatever the number might be, what do you order? And every one of us will say the same thing. Or what's your desert Island beer? Sierra Nevada pale ale is the answer. It's perfect. Low in alcohol. It's a ton of flavor. It's perfect every time. And it's a beer I trust. And universally, I, there was literally a panel at one of our craft brewers conferences, and that was the question. You're in a 100-tap, 75-tap tap house. And they all said, look, I'm, I'm a 20-year pro. I own these places. I'm whoever, the biggest brewer in the country. And I get overwhelmed looking at this tap list. What the hell? Is it good? It could be old. Could it be this? Could it be inconsistent? Yeah, I want to support local, but is it going to be any good? I don't know. I don't know. Give me a pale ale. 
a Sierra Nevada pale ale. I'll drink that while I look at the menu and figure out <laughs> what I'm going to take a risk on. It's the beer we all trust. And it's the beer that got us all into the industry. I would almost guarantee you anyone who's been in the business for longer than 10, 15 years, 20 years, it's the beer we all drink, you know, and it's the beer you trust. It's still perfect every time. It's that cascade hop flavor. And if they still use all whole flower hops and then, and then they support it in their future projects of just always pushing the boundaries of perfectly made beer and you trust them. And Ken is the godfather, Ken Grossman, the godfather of our industry in many ways. He's the one we all look up to and got most of us into craft beer. And that's, so, yeah, we all have that yeah. same answer. <laughs> same, I, same thing Phil would say. I, yeah. He, that's awesome. Yeah, pale he didn't ale go, is, is one of those, is one of the desert island beers. There's only a few of them. He didn't go into it too much, but it was like, <laughs> yeah. he was talking about like his inspirations and who he goes back to. And like, he just goes here in Nevada, then goes off. And I was just yeah. dumbfounded. I was like, we were all muted, but I was like, well, I want more. Yeah. But why? Because I always have loved Sierra Nevada, yeah. starting with their pale ale, but any flavor. Yeah. And then I noticed when the, the horrible fires started in California yeah. last year. Mm-hmm. And every brewery was putting out that Sierra Nevada beer that was beer. supporting my previous Sierra brewery. Nevada. Yeah. Absolutely. It wasn't and, even a question. Yeah. Hell yes, we did it. That's why you did it. Yeah. That makes sense now. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, not that it didn't make sense because you guys always support each other, but that makes sense why so it was many. a little bit bigger one. And yeah. He's always been really good about he, Sierra Nevada, but it's all about Ken Grossman giving back to the community. They're incredibly good at giving back to home brewers and supporting home brewers. That's where he started. It's where all of us especially way back in the day, we all started as home brewers. And so it's important to us to keep that legacy that he started and others like him, Kurt and Rob Widmer in Oregon and, you know, Sam in, in, in Delaware and all these guys that start and Kim Jordan in Colorado, the guys that really started our industry. And the list is far bigger than that. But especially those of us like Phil and I, who've been at this a long time, we wouldn't be here without them. You know, and maybe we're hoping as a generation, and there is, because hell, I own Phil's book. I knew him before I met him. <laughs> you know, same thing. You know, all of us brewers own Phil's book, The Farmhouse of Saison Beer. <laughs> no different than all of us own a guy by the name of uh, uh, Noonan out of Vermont who wrote the Brewing Lager Beer book. Back, It's an old school homebrew nerd book about brewing lagers, and he opened Vermont Pub and Brewery, but every brewery in the country owns that book. I think that was on sale Craig at Noonan. Two Roads for a yeah. little bit. Oh, hell but yeah. I don't think they had the books anymore. But it's all part of it. Yeah. The, you know, the guys that started our industry, I was fortunate enough to work for Widmer Brothers out of Oregon and got to know Kurt and Rob Widmer, the guys who, again, started our industry, invented the American Hefeweizen category. And the stories I would hear from them of yeah, hiding behind a dumpster at GABF with Jim Cook because they were such rock star celebrities that they had to hide to have a conversation. <laughs> and that's what old school people like Phil and I, you know, locally guys like Jeff Browning or Dave Walner, uh, but Willie Brew and the guys have been doing this a long time. You know, they were all of our inspirations and we got to stay true and respectful to that. And so we do, you know, as best we can. Yeah. You know, and all those guys still give back 35 years later, Sierra still gives back and still does resilience to raise money. And we all answer the call. That's what makes our industry different. I like that answer. And I like that. That makes me feel better buying Sierra Nevada brewery over like something else local. And I'm like, I really want that Sierra Nevada. <laughs> they're great. They're, the, they're one of the desert Island brands. There's a handful of breweries in the country that I will buy without a second's thought. And they're one of them. You know, Firestone's one, Allagash is one, New Belgium's one. There aren't many, 
there's a few that you just know. They're on a different level. The technology they use, the science they use, the how long they've been doing it, how successful they've been. Their beers are perfect. It's money well spent. You know, so you do it. And don't think twice about it. <laughs> That's an awesome answer. Yeah, I always try to lean more towards like smooth and balanced. Yeah, smooth and balanced and refreshing. And, and drinkable. And especially, you know? reminds me of yeah. what's great is the... the, the, the exactly. And actually, when when you had the, the mango tango the other day, and I, I tried it myself, I, I honestly compared it to if the Tribus Sours and the Two Roads Sours, yeah. or Two Roads Gozas, had yep. a baby. Yep. It's very juicy, but uh -huh. then you get that saltiness at the yep. end. Yep. I was really happy with the mango tango. Yeah. That, of all the beers we've made so far that were like, not a risk, but a little, a little out there. I'm happiest with how it came out. I'll make another batch in a couple of weeks. That definitely I got, I got set you apart. Juice coming, yeah. Because so many people are are latching onto the sours now, which is great. Because I yeah. love sours, I love gozas. Yeah. But that one was so fruit forward. Yeah. It wasn't like oh the sweetness or the sourness. It was yeah. this is some mango. Yeah, and right that here. was real juice. And I think the key to it actually was the tangerine juice. The mango juice is intense. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's really intense and bright, and it's awesome. But adding, I, that's why I wanted to add a little layer of that tangerine juice is really subtle. You you probably barely taste it, but it adds like an underlining soft, like fruitiness to balance that intensity. I always try to do that in how I brew. Same thing with like, with like feeling juicy. The key hop is that Sabro hop, which is that coconut, but a little bit of citra underneath it just adds that like squeeze of lemon, you know, that little brightness to balance that coconutty tropical flavor and I, I like that i like those nuances and again i always try to approach brewing almost like a chef would it's nuance it's stuff that most people won't even taste but i think it's the difference sometimes but absolutely it's art and it's science oh big time and i yeah. am not a scientific guy at all that's um, what phil said last week is is which is it's BS. Just so he surprising. Is. <laughs> he's super scientific and i wish i could be as half as scientific as he is I'm trying to learn that in my next stage of my brewing life here, but and I am doing more sciencey things here than I ever have. But, but no, I'm a gut instinct brewer. I, I do calculations. I do all those things you have to do, but not to the level that a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. um, I do some science, but really not a lot. My degree was in psychology. I'm a soft science guy, <laughs> uh, and I'm more of a gut instinct guy. The guys who trained me back in the day when I started were. Old school hippie gut instinct Colorado brewers, and so I still apply to that. Listen, old school hippie doesn't it, it helps? No, look at God, look yes. at Ben and Jerry's. Well, They're yes. just old school hippies, Absolutely. and that's the best ice cream. Absolutely. So, <laughs> oh, what was that question? Soon we're gonna bust out the tequila because it's Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> might as well. Uh, maybe so. I we'll start the, doing shots. The car shop right across the street's got a taco truck. I saw under that. repair. It made me so sad. I know. This is the one day you don't go under I repair. I think it's one of the taco trucks from Long Wharf too. What else? What have you always? I'm I'm one of those brewers who will answer anything. Oh, I remember. I won't always answer it, but I'll, I'll I'll come pretty close. What was the first beer you ever brewed? Ah, and in your honest opinion, mm -hmm. how was it? Okay, uh, brewed or brewed professionally? Let's go. Let's go both, so we can have maybe okay. the so, meh and then the okay. No, no, there's, there's, there's two good stories. So brewed, okay. I was a home brewer, and it probably wasn't my first beer, but one of them. Um, a friend of mine, he's still one of my closest friends, was getting married. So I decided to make a homebrew for his wedding for he and his wife. And uh, homebrewed, I don't remember what the style was. It was a pale ale-ish of some sort of beer. 
And I was not a good home brewer by any st- I was a lousy home brewer. And bottled it and even made sort of a makeshift label. And this is in like 93. So, I mean, computers were existing, but not so much. <laughs> so the label was awful. But somehow I cut and pasted his picture probably on like a little Mac classic computer or something. <laughs> Um, and made a label kind of for it and gave it to him. And it was awful. All my high school and well, I knew them from high school, but college age and all my college roommates can't believe I'm a professional brewer. Cause I was a lousy fucking home brewer. <laughs> and so it was awful, but they're still married 25 years later. <laughs> nice. And so I like to think I had a part in that. Um, the beer brings people together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> professionally as a head brewer it was probably the first brewery that i was hired for as a brewmaster and i wasn't so head brewer uh, i was the only brewer so uh brew pub in colorado and the first two recipes were handed to me by two gentlemen who had an ownership stake in the brew pub and trained me they happened to be the two owners of left hand brewing company um, it was in the same town and it was friends of theirs opening this brew pub. And so Dick Dorr, the owner of Left Hand, really taught me mo- most of what I know in terms of running a brewery 25 years ago. Um, so the first couple were recipes he kind of handed me. These are a few we started. We want you to make these first. It was great. The first one I designed was probably an IPA and it was called Tamarack IPA, which I named after a friend of mine who was a botanist of all things from high school. And his favorite plant of all things was a pine tree called a tamarack pine. So I named it after him. And then I entered it. And back in the day, uh, the Colorado State Fair was a fairly big beer competition. Most of the big names entered it. And we're coming full circle here. And now that I think about it, this is great. (laughs) I hadn't planned this. Uh, So I entered this IPA, tamarack IPA. And it was a fairly typical early 90s IPA, more West Coast in Orient and not super aggressive. It was probably by today's standards, more of a pale ale, six and a half percent IPA or something with all sea hops like Centennial, Cascade, Columbus, a little bit of crystal malt in it. It was a fairly simple recipe, but I entered it in the, um, I think it, I think I may have entered it in like the strong pale ale category or so. I don't remember that or the IPA category. I don't remember. And I ended up taking the silver medal to Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Oh, <laughs> of all <awesome>. things. <laughs> they won the gold. I won the silver. That's awesome. <laughs> As a know-nothing idiot 25-year-old head brewer, that was the first beer. After that, I designed a stout, which went on to GABF and won a gold medal. Ooh, crazy. I didn't know what the hell I, I almost said what the fuck I was doing. Um I was very lucky. I was trained by some really good people that taught me the reality and balance. And, you know, mostly Dick Dorr from Left Hand who taught me some long lasting lessons, you know. And then my time in San Diego, I got to work side by side with some of the best brewers in the country. Names that out there are huge geek names. Tom Nickel, and Jeff Bagby and Tommy Arthur and guys that are all the geekiest of geek, geek, geek. <laughs> Brew pub names of Pizza Port and all those kinds of guys that are the best in the business. We all work together. And so I learned from them. If you and a gold, a golden uh, stout, can we be expecting a stout from you soon? Just brewed it yesterday. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm, a told I'm a big stout guy. So. The same recipe. <laughs> oh, yes. It's, it, I literally made it yesterday. 
Shit you not, it's fermenting as we speak. I'll I'm take you. I'm excited. It's, a, it's an American style stout that is fairly aggressive. Probably it's probably seven and a half percent alcohol ish, but fairly aggressively hopped. Um, it's a beer that back in the day there was a style called the foreign style stout, which was essentially a strong stout, not an imperial stout, but a not a dry Irish either, where it's light and low in alcohol. It was just a strong stout. But like most things we did in America in Southern California in the mid '90s, it was aggressively hopped, and we started for years making foreign style stouts because we wanted to make a strong stout that was in that seven, seven and a half percent ABV range. But we hopped the holy shit out of it. <laughs> That's what we did in San Diego, and they ended up really creating a new style of stout for these stouts we were making in San Diego, called the American style stout, which is just a really highly hopped foreign style stout. So it's about a seven and a half percent alcohol, fairly aggressively hopped. Uh, and not like you're going to taste hops. There's so much body and flavor to this, but you're not oh, even going to yeah. taste the hops. Yeah. But you need enough to balance that sweetness. You need enough bitterness to balance. Again, it's all about balance. And so, yeah, it's in the tank right now. I'm very excited. Yeah, and I let Bob name this one. So this, this one's called Dock Side of the Moon. Oh, uh, that's awesome. That's a good name. That's a good name. <laughs> so it'll come out in a few weeks. I want to give it some time. But but yeah, I made it yesterday. I'm, I'm very excited. Perfectly. So it's big, it's roasty, it's it's killer. I can't wait. Yeah. So that's coming. I have a rye beer in the tank too. Ooh, yes. A hazy dry hop rye blonde ale. A hazy, hazy yeah. rye. Well, because yeah, everything's got to be hazy. Okay, think, uh, interesting. <laughs> I don't know if I've had a hazy rye yet. No, no that's new. But yeah. and dry hopped with a, or hopped with a couple hops I don't normally use that I love. And it's gonna be, it's tasting killer. Yeah, I'm excited. Killer. <laughs> so I'm I'm pumped about it. Now, for seasonal beers, how big are you on seasonal beers? Meaning what? A lot I'm of breweries around here. Yes. You know, you got your two roads and they've got their, I mean, everybody's got their their yep. their pumpkins. Everybody's yep. got their pumpkins. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got their their big Christmas beer. Everybody's yep. got their big, this is our summer uh -huh. ale. How big is Dockside going to be on that? Can we expect a pumpkin from you? Because I am big on pumpkin beer and I know it's basic and I know it's like, <sighs> Everybody's got that pumpkin, but I'm, I did a whole episode where we had what, 10, 12 pumpkin beers. Uh, not as many for what we had, like maybe seven or eight for pumpkin and then like 10 for Christmas. Just Christmas. Which yes. Is another, oh, we had more yes. Christmas. Yes. yes. Um, the anchor steam Christmas. Oh beer. God. That's yeah. Anchor Christmas. Is <laughs> that's right up there with, with, with like, there's like Sierra Pale, mm -hmm. then there's like Sierra Celebration, the mm -hmm. other yep. killer Christmas time beer, Sierra Nevada, Sierra Nevada Celebration, yep. and Anchor Christmas. Yep. I mean, those are as old school and as like holy grail as they get. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a complicated answer because a lot of these breweries, in concept, you're talking about are distribution breweries where they're bottling these products yeah. and distributing them, which is a more traditional model. And I've made some of those beers. I'm not going to lie. I am as anti-pumpkin as they come. No! <laughs> to me, they are, they are the devil and they're Satan. I feel like you can make a fantastic pumpkin oh, beer. I've, I've made them and you may have drinking them. Um, my entire, especially the last like 10 years here in the Northeast where pumpkin is king, my previous two stops, I pretty much said, you'll have to fire me to make one. And I ended up making them. Uh, when I was with Red Hook out of Portsmouth, originally from Seattle, uh, the head brewer at the time, he and I were sort of a tag team together. We had very similar upbringings in brewery. We were both kind of more West Coast guys. We both hated pumpkin beers. 
with a passion. And this was seven, eight years ago, which is like the height of the pumpkin yep. thing. Yep. Um, and so the company kind of told us we had to make one marketing. And so we said, all right, we're going to try to screw this up. And so we, it was like, if we're going to make one, we're going to do everything we can to make it at least what we might drink. We don't think anyone will buy it. So we made a pumpkin porter with Red Hook. And it was, it was uh, I don't even remember what we named it, but it had the best tap handle we've ever made. It was a freaking chef's knife that had been plunged through a thing with pumpkin guts. Oh, that's awesome. It was killer. And the beer was like a, a pumpkin porter with maple syrup and all kinds of shit. And it was a killer beer. That sounds, sounds good. Delicious. We tried to fuck it up so that it wouldn't <laughs> succeed. And originally it was supposed to be just an, a release in the Northeast because we made it in Portsmouth Red Hook. And it ended up being nationally distributed because it went so well. <laughs> <laughs> for about two years and then it went away because there was a period about five years ago where pumpkins kind of went away for a couple of years they dramatically dropped off a cliff not here no i yeah. know um and then in my previous stop i didn't want to make one and right before i left we make made one and it went over like crazy too and i, I hate pumpkin beers so that's one there's the distribution world which is put it in a bottle invest tons of money commit to it you're making it you're putting it on the shelf next to pumpkin and yep. pumpkin head and and yep. pumpkin from dogfish and all these those beers all, yep that's some those of, are all in our episode and like yeah. the to me the only one that is good is is the one that two roads makes what is it uh rosemary's Rose, baby rosemary's baby that's is really a, good of all the pumpkin beers that one's killer that's oh, i hate with a passion all the rest of them have you but, had the thimble island pumpkin which is, which is a porter as well. Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it is. And I know those guys very well. They're wonderful people. They make <laughs> wonderful beer. I just hate pumpkin Interesting. beers. Interesting. I find this very <laughs> fascinating. I absolutely, with a passion, hate pumpkin beers. But I feel like it makes sense that you like Rosemary's Baby yes. because it's barrel aged and it has yes. so much more rum yes. than it is, vanilla. It is definitely. Yes. And, and that's, it is a drink. It's a I cocktail am, in a I am bottle. I'm a huge <laughs> rum fan. Yeah. Aged Caribbean rum is my jam. If I don't drink a lot of liquor, but if I'm going to, it's it's going to be a tequila for margaritas because I do like a good it's Cinco de Mayo, so I'm yes. gonna go home and make margaritas tonight. Uh, but if it's not like that, I'm drinking a like an aged Caribbean rum on the rocks or something. So Rosemary's Bay speaks my language. Yep. To me, I don't drink that and think pumpkin beer. I think cool barrel aged rum beer that has this spicy pumpkin quality to it. And pumpkin beers aren't about pumpkin. They're about the spices. They're about cinnamon and all spice oh, wow. and clove. Yeah, and, that's something we um, realized in our pumpkin yeah. episode is most of the best. So many of them don't taste like pumpkin. Don't have pump pumpkin squash. Yep. Which is gross. <laughs> if you think about it that way, for yeah. the most part, what people love is the pumpkin spice. Is it's that pumpkin, pumpkin pie yeah. thing? Yeah. Yeah. So will we make a pumpkin beer here? I don't know. Is the God's honest truth. Everything in my heart and blood says no. <laughs> but I'm also embracing a new world in my old age and, and my new chapter and rebirth in my life of brewing. <laughs> and you never know. What if I told you I was a lifetime mug consumer? I know. I know. Like and it's also probably going <laughs> to coincide roughly with the time of year where we're going to do a mug club beer in the fall winter. Um, <laughs> I would prefer to do something slightly different. Different is Kinda, good. I don't know yet, yeah. but all uh, Rosemary's Babies, where it isn't a pumpkin beer, but yeah. it's something in that ilk so a halloween speak. beer is all i'm asking well and i'm into that maybe <laughs> yeah. something black and cool and funky yeah. and dark but uh Maybe no a christmas a candy beer is a corn beer story. <laughs> christmas beer i'm into uh, christmas yeah. beer is so good i haven't made one in 20 years a true christmas beer like a spiced something tis the season i made one at my first after, brewery after this whole year we need a good christmas yes, brew yeah. i agree but that's also back to my original long drawn point 
The beauty of a brew pub is we can do small batches yeah. of constantly different things. We're not committing to a large scale batch that we're putting in a bottle and selling in grocery store shelves and liquor store shelves into bars. We're making seven barrels at a time. We're going to sell it in a week yeah. mm-hmm. for the most part. And so I can have more freedom and more fun and do some experiments. And so, yes, we will do something. I'm hoping not a pumpkin <laughs> beer, but you never know. I'm hoping for a pumpkin beer, but I'd be cool I'd with some kind of, do if you Christmas. do an interesting Halloween like beer, I'm okay with that. I'd rather do a Halloween beer and a Christmas beer than a pumpkin beer. If you do a Halloween beer, you'd like be so different black than. black and dark and yeah. stormy yeah. and weird. You'd be cool different than any other, any yes. other brew pub or brewery around and I'd because you'd be do doing that. Halloween. I'd rather do that. You know, but I would like to, I have a 20, almost 25 year old recipe for a Christmas beer that I'd like to try again. And it smells and tastes like Christmas. It's like cinnamon and cardamom and cloves and orange zest and a big red ale. And it's, you drink it, you can smell Christmas. Red ale. I'd like that. Red (laughs) ales are my favorite. Red ales are so good. But people don't make them anymore. In the Northeast, I don't maybe, is it everywhere? No. Because in the Northeast, they're impossible to find. Yeah. Yeah. It's where our industry started. When I started again in the mid nineties, the number one beer style at the Great American Beer Festival was American Red Ale. It's what IPAs are now. They were English red ales, the multi, malt-driven, multi-rich, sweet red ales that were massively hopped. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's when I started the industry. There was hundreds of entries of American Amber Ale. And that's what we were all making. And then it transitioned to less malt, drier, more hops into the IPAs. But I red ales, a double red is the best recipe I make. Hands down, without a doubt, there is no question. My best beer is a, is a double red. Something to make sure we get when we come <laughs> Christmas here. is when it, yeah, it'll we need come those, out. We need those reds. <laughs> it will come out Thanksgiving next year. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Uh, it's a recipe I've made up in New Hampshire that I will give new life to with the same name and bring it back to life. I love yes. red and ales. It's my Christmas yes. tribute to usually launches right about Thanksgiving. Thank you. You can, if you do that. percent alcohol, multi double red. I'd be slightly disappointed that I don't have a pumpkin beer to drink from you, but. The red ale will uh, I'll make drown that away. I'll yeah. make, It'll make you something for black for around October, whether it's a black IPA yeah. or a black barley wine or a black wheat wine or something cool. Yeah. That might be more interesting just to do an, a Halloween yeah. beer. Yeah. And then I'll do the uh, the Christmas double red around Thanksgiving. And then maybe around Christmas, I'll do a spiced Christmas ale for you. Very exciting. Nice. Very exciting. <laughs> but again, it's the beauty of a seven barrel system. It doesn't yeah. matter. We're going to have fun. We're going to, I want to train people here at Dockside. It's always going to be different. I'm not having a set lineup of beers. So then speaking to having that small batch thing, having fun with experimentation, do you plan on doing smaller kegs where you might be able to do something like um, a lot of the other breweries do around here where it's like Firkin Thursday where you you tap something Um, small? Maybe. Right off the bat, no. Yeah. Yes is the Mm -hmm. long-term answer. Long-term. Yeah. Yeah. For right now, it's not realistic, but... It's and probably more likely in the like fall winter time months mm-hmm. when we slow a little bit. Yeah, it's going to be nuts here in the spring and summer. It's mm-hmm. going to be psychotic. Yes, mm-hmm. we're not going to be able to keep up, and that's a great <laughs> problem. We have a small mm-hmm. brewery. That's what you know. It's a big part of why we also have guest taps and and draft cocktails and wine and and frosé machines and everything. We're going to have it all. Mm-hmm have an experience but it's yes more likely in the fall winter time months we will do those things mm-hmm. um, but initially i'm just going to try to keep up i'm going to hold on <laughs> for the ride and make as many ipas as i can make it's a good problem to have <laughs> oh it's an awesome problem <laughs> we're soon ordering some bigger fermenters anyway so nice. <laughs> to try to keep up you mentioned that the which i think is really interesting and cool is that mug club members get to help 
make a beer. Can you go into more info about that? Because I feel like it might draw some of our listeners into maybe joining the mug club. You know, mug clubs have become sort of a cliche. They're a great thing. I love mug clubs, but yeah. Great. But typically you get a mug that maybe you get a couple extra ounces of beer in, you get a t-shirt and maybe get a party in the, and beyond that, what do you really get from them? And while I, while we would love to offer the world, there's also reality. If we have a business to run, you have jobs, you have lives. You can't be here every day. We're hoping yeah. you're here three or four or five times a week. <laughs> I can but, try. But <laughs> yeah. so we try to think what kinds of things can we do that are slightly different. We're not reinventing the wheel here, mm-hmm. but we're trying to do something slightly different. So, you know, there's a couple things we've looked into some like on one end of the spectrum, maybe some like quarterly beer tastings with me, you know, where we can sit and taste our beers or even taste some guest taps and talk beer styles maybe once a quarter and invite the, the mug clubbers in and we can get our geek on and talk beer styles. Then we also talked at one point, someone asked, could we do like a, like a, a monthly or a quarterly brew? I'm like, no, I can't do that. That's, I, got, <laughs> I got too much to keep up with, but how about like every year as like an anniversary party or a, a Christmas party or something. We get together as a group with the mug clubbers and what do you want to make? And while we'll never come to consensus, we can come up with an idea that everyone's good with and, and we'll design a beer together. And Again, it's a tiny little space. The entire club can't come in to brew it. But whoever wants to come in and hang out and make the beer that day will make the beer and maybe we'll pour that beer at like the mug club Christmas party, you know, and see how that goes. And if that goes great, we're also going to try to do like a summer mug club Christmas party, not a mug club Christmas, a mug club summer party. (laughs) Um, And maybe we'll design a beer for that, too. I mean, there's some cool things in this world now you can do. We do one in our industry in recent years for... uh, for women, like the Pink Boots Society, which is local women's brewers, yep. our, our international women's brewers group that, you know, my previous breweries we have done or other breweries do where all the women get together. And I know Two Roads does it. Yeah, I we, think that's the only one local yeah. that we know of that does it. Yes, yeah. And, you know, yeah. we we did it at my former brewery and it's the women of the company to get together, design a beer with the brewers and they make it and we pour it at a often like International Women's Day or something like that. And we'll do that here. Traditionally, yeah. at Two Roads, at least, yeah. they were always some of the best beers they brewed oh, that year. Yes. Yeah, they were fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so we plan on doing that as well. You know, and that's a little bit outside of the mug club, but the same idea. You know, beers with a purpose, mm-hmm. you know, a reason for making them. Sometimes that reason is just a cool group of people that want to get together mm-hmm. and make a beer. Sometimes it's International Women's Day. Sometimes it's for a, a, a philanthropy or a, a cause. We'll do some of that here, too. You know, and we try to have a reason again, coming back full circle to a point for what you're doing. There's a reason for things. And sometimes that reason is just to fuck around and have fun. It's just beer. Yeah. But sometimes there's a reason to do something. It's for a charity or a, or a, or a women's group or a mug club. Or a, and again, for a purpose and a reason. But we're going to do that for sure. That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so what says what sets you've had a storied career mm-hmm. in in the brewery industry, like even before we came here. Elise had done so much research and she was like, oh, he's impressive. It's all don't nice. worry. And I was like, more impressive than Phil. And she was like, no, she was like, mm. the immediate answer to that is no. <laughs> oh, but she was like, because mm, she researched. She does. Like yeah. I said, she's the professor. I've been very lucky. So with that career that you've had tw- almost coming on 25, 25 years, years, what sets Dockside apart from anything else you've done so far? I would say. It's more a matter of what I have done in recent years. And recent is 15 to 18 years. Uh, 
I've always tried to be very focused at what I wanted to do. To be a career brewer, it's a hard life. Um, it's not a very profitable life for a long time, especially in the early days of my career. Um, you made crap. You made minimum wage. You, you started, and when I started in the industry, you started at the bottom. You weren't hired as a brewer. You were hired as a keg washer making five bucks an hour. I took dedication. I took a love. You had to want to do this. And it took years to earn your way into a spot. And the early on, it might have been working the filler on the bottling line, which is awful work. But it was the, the first pinnacle you could hit. And then someone had to basically die to get a cellarman or a brewer job. And you worked your way up. But it was awesome. You learned the business. And from there, I had a very strategic approach of what I wanted to do. And how. And the first step is you got to marry or date a saint. Because you're for a long time not going to support the family. And you're likely going to have to move. I mean, it's a long path. And for a lot of that, I, I, I had a very focused drive of trying to learn the business, trying to learn all aspects of the business. So it started, I started on the keg line, worked the bottling line, learned some of that side. Got lucky, got a job as a brewmaster at a brew pub for a few years. Moved back to the West Coast, got a job running a, a chain of brew pubs, but they were small. And then we built a central brewing facility, you know, kind of like a 30-barrel mid-sized production facility. I got to build that, but also open restaurants. I was trying to always learn a different side of the business. From there, we had my wife and I had kids, and we moved to New Hampshire, because why not? Um, <laughs> and I didn't have a job, but then, again, started looking at it strategically and found out that Red Hook of all places had a brewery two miles from my house down the street and started at the bottom there. And there was always this like work your way up, but then be okay with taking a step back if there was an endpoint to move through and up. And I knew with Red Hook, it was a nationally distributed brand and one of the founders of our industry, that was a cool place to be a part of. And there was shit to learn there. Uh, and so I worked my way up through the cellar and convinced them to open a pilot brewery within the big brewery, uh, ran that pilot brewery, worked as like a traveling brewmaster all over the Midwest and Eastern United States, you know, doing all the like wholesaler trainings and meet the brewer nights. And, and there I was trained in marketing and branding and sales. So I always tried to stay focused on, even if I took a bunch of steps back, there was this new path that I could go down. And through that period for about 10, 15 years, it focused on the larger side of brewing, mid-sized to regional to nationally distributed brands, um, which was incredible to learn. It's not as much fun sometimes, but it's, it was incredible to learn. You got, I got exposure to everything, to, uh, again, marketing, sales, brewing, branding, cost, things like that that aren't sexy but are part of the business. Mm -hmm. Then I moved to Connecticut, took another big step back, in terms of size of brewery, but I'm the brewmaster now. I get to design an entire brand from scratch, build it from the bottom up in my image, what I wanted to do, and that was great. But it was still, we grew really fast and it got big again and it was stressful. Here, we gotta have fucking fun again. It's a seven <laughs> barrel system. It's a brew pub, which is the, in my mind, is the current future of craft beer. Is, is not full distribution brewery, is not, uh, has food, which is different than even my opinion two or three years ago. Two or three years ago, you didn't need food. 
you could survive off of people just coming and buying your beer across the counter or have a kick-ass experience on the water or whatever. Now people want the full experience, I think. Um, want that, the show, the everything from the waterfront view we have here to some of the best pizza in the region, to some of the best burgers, wings, et cetera, in the region. And we're only selling it by the pint. First thing Bob asked me when we were interviewing, so what are your thoughts on expansion? I'm all, I don't want to do it. There's no reason to anymore. It's expensive to get into cans. There's no money there anymore. Customers want different all the time. They want variety. They want new. They want local. They want quality. As a brew pub, we can do all of those things and sell it by the pint, which is a good profit margin, which is we can change up the lineup constantly. Go back to the old school brew pub model, which was just don't have a lineup. Make whatever the hell you feel like making. Mm -hmm. And maybe a couple rise to the top, like a feeling juicy, which mm -hmm. so far seems to be the one squishy too, kind of and two hazy IPAs. It, it isn't <laughs> yeah. rocket science, yeah. um, but they seem to be leading the pack so far. But we're also seeing some traction with beers like Califragilistic, mm -hmm. a West Coast IPA, Fredo, an Italian IPA. Even Mango Tango, a sour mango beer, are showing enough traction that they'll make regular appearances. I think Feeling Juicy and Squishy will always be on tap, as much as I can keep up. And then we'll rotate everything else. And now it's 25 years in. My wife comments all the time, you're happier I've ever seen you. This reminds me of when we were dating. <laughs> when we first met and I was running a 10-barrel brew pub in Longmont, Colorado. And it was just have fun. Make whatever you feel like making, 10 barrels at a time. It sells out in a week or two. Make another something and enjoy it. Go back to being creative again, more like a chef or a cook. It's kind of full circle. 25 years later, I got through the big side of beer. I survived the growth of the late 90s into the early 2000s. The industry crashed in the early 2000s and, and timing of the recession and all that. And we survived that. We grew again bigger than we've ever grown through the 2010s and into the 2000 teens and this happens this from the growth of the treehouse model of people standing in line to buy beers and that's yep. different than we've ever yep. seen and completely in about 18 months transformed our industry from the traditional model to a new model and the traditional models now are hurting regional brewery is hurting because that's not how consumers now want to buy beer they want new they want different they want hyper local and what's better than a brew pub we're going to give them hyper local, different all the time. We're going to support our friends and neighbors. So it's it's just it's in some ways I'm trying to take advantage of all the things I've learned over 25 years and trying to force myself to accept, in a great way, a lot of the the current reality of the consumer and our industry. Which, if you embrace it, is really fun. Because fuck it, I'm going to make whatever the hell we feel like making. Because that's what people want. You want something different every time you come here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, depending on how many, you guys are mug clubbers, you're going to be here five times a week. So you're not going to get something different every time you come in. But we're going to rotate it. We're going to make different shit all the time. And we're going to pour the best Connecticut beers you can get as well. So if you want a sea hag, order a freaking sea hag. You want, I do. I have sea hag in my fridge right now. I have headway in my fridge right now. I have workhorse pills in my fridge right now. At home, I have Modelo in my fridge right now. I have, you know, so we're going to offer a variety you want wine? We're gonna have half a dozen wines on tap. Killer ones. You want a cocktail? We're gonna have we're gonna have freaking Tito's on tap. The beer cocktails are very interesting to me yeah. because there is a truck that has come to Two Roads a couple of times that they specialize in beer cocktails, but yeah. Two Roads doesn't itself. Yeah. 
And I've found beer cocktails are very, very hip yeah. and modern and different. Yeah. And you can do so many things that haven't been done before because yeah. beer cocktails aren't like super popular. Yeah. So you're all of a sudden branching into new territory yeah, where it's like, oh, not? yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Have a margarita, but maybe it's got a splash of beer in it. This maybe it's got a splash of fruit juice. This in fruit it. stripe you gave me, See? I can put some stuff in that. Damn yeah. straight. <laughs> and that's that's something I picked up from when I was with Widmer Brothers out of Oregon. They were big for a period there of like using cocktails as like an inspiration. And breweries do this. A lot of us breweries do this. You know, I am. You know, whether you're like an, a fan of an old fashioned or a margarita or a or a whatever, a pina colada, you can mm-hmm. feel it juicy. Yep. Inspiration feeling juicy is a pina colada. You know, um, we made a beer with Widmer Brothers when I was there. It was a riff on an old fashioned. It was barrel aged and it had cherries and orange and, you know, to whatever. And it's there's it opens the doors of different things and crossing into I'm not a beer drinker, but I like and I always ask people, you know, people I love when people say I don't drink beer. I'm not a beer drinker. I'm like one. And some of it's because I'm a brewer. I don't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> you just haven't found one you like. yet. That's why we as craft brewers in particular make such a variety. You go into Tribus, you're going to see a sour, you're going to see a lager, you're going to see a hazy, you're going to see a this, you're going to see eight different styles of beer from fruity to dry to hoppy to aromatic to whatever. There's something for everyone to a sour. If you're not a, if you're a wine drinker, maybe you're a rosé drinker, well, try a sour maybe. Or if you're a coffee drinker, try a a stout of some sort, maybe like a barrel-aged coffee stout. You'd never think you would, but you might. And it's no different than you're a scotch drinker. No one likes whiskey or scotch the first time you drink it. No, it's no. Awful. It takes a while. <laughs> you got to work at it. Yep. No one likes IPAs the first time you have them. You got to work at it. Or mm-hmm. sours. There's a hundred different kinds of sours. Yep. Some are really sour. Some are less sour. Some are fruity. Some are not. You just got to explore. Find the one you like. And, and it's no different than beer. You just And that's the beauty of things like cocktails as an inspiration. Draft beer cocktails. You know, barrel aging, sour beers, it, it crosses into different areas that are almost like a hybrid. Okay, it's, it's a beer, but it's almost a wine. It's almost a cocktail. It's, and again, you can't be a purist, even though I'm rooted in purity and tradition. I'm an old school brewer, but riff on it. Have fun, man. Approach it like a chef would. That's awesome. That's, yeah, that's a great answer. Yeah. yeah. I have no more questions. Do you have any Holy questions shit. to ask the viewers that we can then ask you again their answers. Yeah. Like what people think of certain things that you haven't been able well, to get yeah, honest no, answers I, I directly. I would say kind of two. It, on, on one level, and we touched on them here a little bit, is, is and they're related kind of, is, is what are you, it's kind of like a mix of what do you love, what are you inspired by in current modern craft beer, whether it's locally or whatever, and what are you getting tired of? And, and this is a double-edged sword to me. They're, they're, it's kind of the same thing yeah. sometimes. And I'm leading the question towards where I want it to go. But, <laughs> but I'm curious, you know, as Connecticut was a very young beer state compared to especially other places I've lived and brewed, Colorado, California, Oregon, New Hampshire, you know, Vermont, much more longer history of craft beer and innovation, and which means a consumer base, which is more experienced. Connecticut's a very young, I mean, five years ago, there was like 15 breweries in the state. Yeah. And that's it. If you lived in Connecticut, you went to Vermont to get beer or you went to New York, you know? And so it's like, I'm curious as, as this state evolves and is now a hundred plus breweries and the average drinker has been exposed to so much more beer now in such a short amount of time, what now inspires you as a drinker? What are you loving? And even like you said, uh, you're realizing, holy shit, there's some great West coast beers, Sierra, 
I'm almost embarrassed as a local guy to buy Sierra, but shit, their stuff is good. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, and our consumers now starting to kind of see that, that, okay, I love my local brewery, but shit, I recently discovered whatever that might be. What's inspiring you now? And with that, is there anything you've kind of gotten tired of, you know, that you're seeing overkill on, or are you realizing I'm leading the questions, but you know, <laughs> quality isn't what you thought it was when you got into this. You know, I've seen a lot in recent years where people have assumed it felt like to me that local in and of itself meant quality and new, you know, when I'd go out and sell beer, it's what's new. Okay. Well, that's great. But new isn't always good. New in and of itself isn't good. Local, while I want you to support local breweries with all my heart, I want you to support good breweries first with all my heart, mm -hmm. which means I want you to support quality, professional quality beer with all my heart. That just happens to be local if it can be, first and foremost, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm curious if as the, the average consumer in the state is becoming more and more experienced, getting exposed to the 110, 120 breweries we now have just in Connecticut, let alone the growth in Massachusetts and Vermont and New York and New Hampshire, you know, are they starting to see anything that maybe surprised them of, oh, shit, yeah, that really isn't as good as I thought it once was, but they really are good. I mean, and down the road, you know, are they I'm just curious, are, are your are your listeners and consumers taste buds evolving and becoming more picky isn't the right word, but yeah, that's the word, you know, and where they thought something they once loved or have loved for years, all of a sudden, boy, it isn't what I once thought it was. And that's OK, too. Yeah. You know, and I'm just curious about that, kind of. Well, I'm sure our listeners will chime in for the next episode. But for us, <laughs> I would say that in terms of when I started, there are two beers that I love. And it's IPAs mm -hmm. and there's Gozes. Yeah. And in both, I have stories of the first IPA I really had that was super bitter was this uh, I, it's the Sam Spring Ale, okay. or Spring IPA. Uh -huh. And I hated it. Yeah. I had it. I went to Chili's. Yeah. I was still in college. Absolutely. And I had it and I was sipping at it so slowly. Yeah. And I was already doing that. We got appetized. We got the whole thing. It was a full date night. And my server went over to me and said, are you okay? And I said, I, and I hate complaining yeah. about anything. Yeah, you could, absolutely. there could be a giant cockroach on my bug, on my food. And I will yeah. just not say anything I'm and eat same it. Way in many and, yeah. First drinks that he ever, yeah. ever considered sending back. I said, I'm sorry, but I can't drink this. Yeah. And then I drank it and I was, uh, or I, I got another beer and then later on I had another IPA and I started to learn to love them. The first, Sour or Goza I ever had was at Two Rows. It was the, the Which one? Geyser Goza. <sighs> it's so salty. It's so amazing. Got I kelp. It's sea salt. It's my favorite. I love it's, that beer. <laughs> it is my favorite beer of all time. Yep. I actually begged on right the Cellar Dwellers Club. I begged him to bring it back, which was yep. ignored. Yep. <laughs> um, but the first time I ever had it, it was at uh, one of their parties or whatever. And the garden party. The garden party. Yeah. Elise asked me, what do you think? I said, I think I hate this. Yeah. But I was still sipping it. Yep. And I was like, I don't think I like this, but I got another one. And I was like, yeah, I'm yep. pretty sure I hate this. But that whole week, all I could think of was that beer. Yep. And I kept drinking it. And it's it's not so much that old beers fall aside. Mm -hmm. It's that things that you don't think you like sometimes, especially with things like beer or wine or like you said, bourbon or scotch, yeah. take time to really appreciate yeah. and love. And once you start to love them, I love IPAs now. And yeah. Geyser Goza is my favorite of yeah. all the sours still after all these ones that have come by. It's because you've learned to love them. And I think it's not so much what do you not like anymore, but what you can learn to like. And I think Dockside brings that to yeah. the table of you're not just going to settle with 
you'll have some mainstays, but you're going to yeah, keep bringing stuff it. that. I think you'll also stink. see, like, think of scotch. There's there's smoky scotches. I yeah. like a smoky scotch, or you don't. You hate them, or you like a, and it's different, but related, like an Irish whiskey. I'm not a whiskey fan, but I can drink an Irish whiskey, kind of, you know, because it's a little bit smoother, a little bit cleaner, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And Gozas are a great example. Phil makes a really good Goza. I think he takes more of a of a a Western approach to Gozas. Most breweries I've learned in my time here in research in the Northeast, in particular when they make gozas go really heavy on the salt, yes. way heavier yeah. than what I might have done on the West coast. And I've reached out to brewers from Oregon to California, to Colorado, to the Northeast and the Northeast, the salt levels are much higher in general. Phil goes lighter on the salt and cleaner on it. The salt should be a nuance in a goza. Traditionally, it should just enhance that sweetness. You shouldn't drink it and think, Oh, this is salty. <laughs> it should just be a mineral quality in the background that enhances the saltiness. And when I made one at my previous brewery at one point, I called a bunch of guys and I'm like on the West coast, it might be, Oh, we put in about, you know, let's say whatever, in a 30 barrel batch, we put in uh, two pounds of salt. When I call breweries in the wet East coast here, like, Oh, we put about eight or 10 pounds. Wow. And it was that big of a difference. And, and wow. talking to, and again, it was really experienced market with 30 years of experience based in traditional beer styles to, brand new market Northeast with 10, 15 years of history. And neither one is better than the other, just different approaches. And I never liked a super salty Goza. You shouldn't taste salt. <laughs> and I learned, and Phil is a little bit more old school in his approach. And I think he saw, and that geyser is one of the best beers I've had in a really long time because it was yeah. nuanced. You got the saltiness, but it wasn't overpowering. It, it was wow. this nuance essence in the background that played with the other flavors. And that's, again, a chef would never overpower you with salt. Right. No beer should or with bitterness in many ways or whatever smoke flavor or whatever nuance. A young beer drinker in a young market typically wants to kick you in the face with flavor. Want obvious. I'm a believer in nuance. The more advanced you get, you want a more nuanced flavor in a scotch, in a rum, in a, in a whiskey, in a goza, in a smoked beer, in an IPA. You want nuance. You want to search. You want little essences that you pick up differently each time. Yeah. So that's what we try to do. And like I said, Phil's a perfect example. He, he's genius at what he does. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what you get. I think that's what you can, at Dogside, bring to yeah, the table. That's, is that, that's the goal. I hope people get that it. It's not like what we're getting. We're not getting tired of the things we always have. Yeah. Juicy IPAs aren't going all going away. No. Hazy IPAs aren't going, but we're still hungry for the next new thing. Yeah. And I think that that's Northeast. We don't get tired of the old stuff. We love nostalgia, yeah. but we always also love the next new thing. <laughs> and, and we can't wait thing. for that. I don't know what the next new thing is anymore. <laughs> We've kind of done everything. And, and maybe that's naive to say after all these years, but it's, it's what more is new anymore. Uh, we've done it. In my mind, and maybe that's just a narrow mind. Maybe but. what you have to do is remind us. Well, <laughs> but no, I think there's truth to that. Big time. I think new is going to be going back to old a little bit and bringing some of it. And you're seeing it. Loggers are becoming more, more popular yeah. in, in this region where they've been for about 10 years in the West Coast and well, a more advanced market. And, and it's, I'm wondering if new is going to be a subtle return back to the old. You know, almost like you went for the really exciting and now I'm ready for the, the comfort again and the, and the balance and the cleanliness. And, and then 
a good brewer then riffs from that and yep. maybe makes instead of a German pills, it's an Italian pills, or it's I don't know, or it's use some cool New Zealand hops, which isn't innovation. They've been around for years, but maybe push the issue a little bit and make something slightly different that isn't in the grand scheme of life all that different, but it's at least different from now. Yep. You know, and be comfortable enough to do it. All good points. I think we have run out of questions. Yeah, I think I've rambled long enough. <laughs> uh, thank you for having us. Thank you oh, so much. God, this was fun. awesome. Seriously? This was amazing. Let's do this every week. Uh, uh, I'm here we might this. have to break this. Yeah. We've we've recorded so much. We might have to break this. into. We might have to do Butte this week. And like we might it. have to do yeah, something else just, next week. Yeah, get, give me about a week or two and I'll have a five or six new beers. So. Let's do this every week. This is fun. I'll spend the afternoon drinking and talking beer. Awesome. Thanks for having us. We'd love to do it again. Like I said, we'll probably do more beers. Absolutely yeah. do more beers in the future. Yeah. Wow, that was another fantastic episode. <laughs> I remember all of that. <laughs> so once again, a huge thank you to owner Bob Chacoin and brewmaster Andy Schwartz for taking so much time to sit down with us and really spread the good word about Dockside. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we learned so much about beer from Andy. Uh, Bob was yeah. really cool. I didn't expect him to talk so much with us. I yeah. thought that was really neat. It's a great time. I'm a Lifetime Mug Club member. Yep. I suggest anybody who goes there and has a great time. I mean, it's probably more worth it if you're going to keep going there. Yeah. And we'll probably be there with you. So uh. (laughs) get your get your mug ready. Go down. (laughs) Join the mug club. Get all these awesome beers. Andy already kind of teased what was going to be part of that mug club. Oh, yes. Very excited for that. May 20th. Go down. Have yourself a great beer. All right. So I think that about wraps it up for for this week's episode so thank you for tuning in once again and if you enjoyed this episode please share it with your friends and subscribe to catch our future episodes Uh, you can find us on apple podcasts spotify google Podcasts, and stitcher you can also follow us on facebook instagram and twitter at kraken one open or shoot us an email at kraken one open at gmail.com is there anything else that you would like to plug I've got a couple of plugs, but first I'd like to just say, if you enjoyed this episode and you run a brewery or a part of a brewery, <laughs> contact us and let us know if you liked this kind of episode, if you would like to sit down and talk with us and talk beer and breweries, this is the kind of episode we want to keep doing going forward. We want to do this kind of stuff. It's so much fun. It's we so much really fun. enjoyed really it. Learned we learned so much. So if you guys are interested in having us come down with some microphones and interviewing you, yeah, let us know. Crack it one open at <laughs> gmail.com. I've got two other podcasts I do. One of them is Forgotten Cinema that I do with my buddy Mike Field. It's about films that for some reason seem to be forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We talk about what we love about the movie, maybe don't love about it, but we always recommend you revisit it. We'll go over fun facts, why it was forgotten, and what our thoughts are on the movie. This podcast is available wherever podcasts can be found. You can also find us on ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com and all over the social medias at Forgotten Cinema Pod. I've also got two player bros that I do with my buddy Dave Cannon, where we're just two guys who play way too many video games. We do a deep dive into a video game a few times a month, and then in between that, we just talk about video game news and reviews. So join us there. That podcast is also available wherever podcasts are available, and you can also visit us at twoplayerbros.com Dot com. Very nice. And a special thanks for our theme, which was composed and performed by Joe Reichert. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>